Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join all you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Was at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. You know, there's been titles such as Meetings of Remarkable Minds and things like that. Well, I have a remarkable podcast for you today. I had a conversation with the great novelist, Jeff Rovin, and you loved him. We had him on before. So I'm calling this Two Fine Minds Discuss World Politics and the Future. Will America Suffer the Same Fate as Rome? Now, many of you have asked me to have Jeff back on this podcast. Well, we spoke again last week, and this time we talked about has America lost its national identity? We touched on Russia, Ukraine, Zelensky. Uh, how we need a strong leader and how the left attacked Trump. How the perverted New World Order is forcing their views onto the entire population of the world, with very rare exception. Of course, we touched on O'Biden, because Biden is a continuation of Obama. We talked about movies, old and new, because Jeff knows a lot about movies. He's a screenwriter. If you're interested in screenwriting, you're going to love this podcast. Is Putin a sociopath? We touched on violence in the media, and we talked about what happens when the wicked assert their power. God will always intervene. Now, so look, there's so much more in this podcast. That's why I came up with the title, The Meetings of Remarkable Minds, or Two Fine Minds Discussing World Politics. But it's so much more than that. I know you're going to love it. It's just for you. So please settle back, whether you're in a car or a home. Enjoy this podcast, and thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoy it. Africa. A hundred years ago, a trackless land. Majestic. Savage. Bloodstained. Life here was at its most primitive. Africa's wealth attracted the greedy. In such a land, in such a time, vengeful African warriors would attack a safari with unbelievable cruelty. Man became... The Naked Prey. Hello, Professor Oven. Dr. Savage. Oh, God. What a world. We can begin with this crazy thing I just saw on Twitter. Okay. It's of the NATO meeting. And they're sitting there and a girl is on the stage literally having like a nervous breakdown, twisting and it's like performance art. She's just throwing herself on the floor. This is NATO, Jeff. Then there's another one of a young man who gets up and starts screaming and they're clapping, just yelling. Jeff, are we the last two sane men on Earth? I don't even know about you, Michael, but yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jeff, what a world. So the last time we talked, I'm speaking with the great Jeff Rovin, who is a famous 
novelist and screenwriter and martial artist, husband and all around great guy. And the last time we talked was in February 4th, 2022. The title was I came up with a flashy title, Putin, as seen by a famous novelist. How does this war end? Masada, Sitting Bull or Hirohito? Now, we, we, we referenced your book, which foretold of a Russian invasion of Ukraine in your book, Dark Zone. And we told the audience that the U.S. intelligence community even enlisted Jeff Rovin, best known for his work with the best-selling Tom Clancy series to envision possible scenarios in global warfare. Now, we're not going to spend the whole day talking about that, but things have changed for the worse since then in many ways. Jeff, where do you see this Ukraine thing going, this war? Because I saw Zelensky now put out a blacklist and I said, I'm not really seeing this. I can't believe he's that egomaniacal and crazy. It's because he's gotten away with everything he's wanted. Now, I understand the minute I say that I'm accused of being in favor of Russia bombing Ukraine into the Stone Age, which I'm not. But on the other hand, how does Zelensky get away with this kind of madness? Good Lord, that's uh, that's several podcasts uh, worth of material right there. You know, the, the short answer is, is there's no real oversight, either politically or more importantly, morally. We have, and I think this is where, kind of where we left off in the last podcast, we have surrendered Ryan. any kind of objective morality Ryan. In, in the world. And uh, that, um, we, we've surrendered the, the objective morality that once governed uh, the, the world that served us for most of civilization. You and I have talked about religion and, and faith and the Ten Commandments and all of that. All right. So the gays and lesbians came along. Let's not mince words. And they said the Bible is bullshit. We'll do what we want. And now whatever we want to do is better than what you're doing. And families, uh, viviparous reproduction, as Huxley wrote, <laughs> in Brave New World is now considered an embarrassment. And uh, we're moving towards creating babies in, in, in laboratories if we make them at all. Yeah, well, you know, there's nobody that says we have to actually listen to these lunatics. And, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that there was a time and you well remember this when when we called it li women's liberation or gay liberation, civil rights were urgently needed in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, but what happened was that they lost their own focus and became incredibly narcissistic uh, to the ex to the expense of everyone else. And uh, once what the thing that distinguished America, every every nation on Earth, you look at China, you look at Russia, is a mishmash of different ethnicities and uh, 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 races and religions and whatnot, and. More often than not, they're held together with force of arms. Look at Iraq, for example, under Hussein. We, we held together under a constitution, and we had a common goal, and that goal was to enhance America, to bring the American dream to each new generation. And then there were people who decided, well, this didn't really apply to us, so we're going to upend the whole shebang and destroy it for everyone. And we'll start all over again. And 
whether it was Obama populating the uh, the government with deep state socialists or uh, or the media becoming so left leaning that it was um, it became dangerous. I don't know. Probably a combination of all of that. But we've lost we've lost our national identity. And some of us are trying very hard to hold on to it and bring it back to what it once was. Mm. Uh, but you need a strong leader for that. And we don't have one. No, we had one in Trump to a certain yes. extent. And he was vilified and turned into worse than Hitler, Stalin and Mao combined by the vermin in the media. They lied about everything he did and everything that they said he did. He wasn't doing. And the Joe Biden is doing. That's the odd part from my point of view, Jeff. Well, I mean, who's really surprised by any of that? It's, um, you know, I did a book years ago called Scorched Earth, restoring the country after Obama. And I quoted a French scholar no one ever heard of, Andre Pijaniol, who wrote, Roman civilization did not pass peacefully away. It was assassinated. It was published in 2016. And I just looked at that headline again. I mean, that that quote. Did anyone really hear that? And what does it matter? Who's well, you here? know. Yeah, I was I was just going to add to that. The, uh, the the other quote about the Roman Empire, I, th I think it was Gibbons and uh, the, the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, no civilization is destroyed from without until <laughs> it is first destroyed from within. <laughs> and we're, we're witnessing that now. Yeah, absolutely. So we're being destroyed from within. And while they're doing it, they're telling us they're making it stronger by making it more diverse and diversity is strength. It's right out of Orwell. Yeah. I, years ago, I said diversity is perversity. Of course, I knew what I was talking about. It was a code word. It was yeah. not about it was not integration of blacks and whites and Asians. It was about a particular subset of humanity that wanted to impose their perverted worldview on everyone. And now they're doing it to our children in plain sight and using the hammer of the government via school boards to break parents down or stand up to their preachings. Well, the option, of course, is to take your child out of that school and homeschool or uh, uh, go to a private school that is not going to indoctrinate them or start your own school. That's something that I did years ago. Hmm. Um, you, you, you really cannot kowtow or collapse to these people. If we do that, it's, it's, it's over. When will they end homeschooling and make it illegal? saying that you're poisoning your children's minds. Well, you know what? Again, who cares what they say? I mean, th those of us who didn't go to college, who couldn't afford it or didn't have the grades, managed to survive okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really, um, why let them dictate? Because they control the media. They control well, the FBI. The, they control the intelligence agencies through through Biden. Oh, Biden, I almost said. Yeah, well, you would have been right. <laughs> oh, Biden has now implanted this element into all of our intelligence agencies. The Defense Department's become a laughingstock. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I had a gentleman on yesterday. It was it was just shocking. It was a major Galvin, I believe, who was falsely accused and his men of conducting homicide in Afghanistan. They were tried in a kangaroo court. And he uh, spent 11 years clearing his name, 11 years 
I could not believe what I was listening to, what they did to him. It reminded me of yeah, Major Fred Galvin, author of A Few Bad Men. The man serves 27 years in the Marine Corps, rises from the beginnings as a 17 year old to become an officer, serves in Iraq, Afghanistan, Iraq, Kuwait. First, he creates the, he, he leads the first special ops company in the Marines. He earns 49 military medals and ribbons. And then his elite team of U.S. Marines is set up for a fall for Afghanistan war crimes they did not commit. Major Galvin spends 11 years redeeming his honor and the honor of his men. And I say, this reminds me of Paths of Glory. <laughs> yeah. Where, yeah. And we're going to talk about movies in a minute, Jeff, because you're an expert on that. Paths of Glory. The, he calls them Chateau Generals. Yeah. Yeah, I said, it's a great phrase because it really ties into paths of glory. And um, he said, they sit up there saying sacrifice the men. We don't care. Someone's got to take a fall. Let our hero, let our warriors take it from they're just expendables anyway. Yeah, this scapegoating is nothing new and it's it's not going to end in the near future. Uh, But you you mentioned movies and I would I would submit to you that. Movies have the ability to change society absolutely they did me i was i was conditioned by them yeah yeah i mean our for example our entire view of cowboys and indians comes from a handful of jewish producers who grew up (laughs) under pogroms they didn't know from cowboys and indians they knew from from cossacks coming in and destroying their villages and so why did they make the indians into cossacks when the, the cossacks were the u.s cavalry yeah well because what they knew growing up was, you know, like in Fiddler on the Roof, Anatevka, where the Russians come in burning and destroying weddings and that sort of thing. Um, so what they did was they figured, well, you know, uh, all uh, local warfare must be like that. So we'll just do that same thing and we'll call them Indians and we'll we'll make the heroes cowboys. Um, so but, entire- but you have to agree with me. The cowboys were the ones burning down the, the villages. Well, yes, but if you read some, there's a great novel about Indian life, um, Little Big Man, which um, really it explains how the they were attacking, making war on one another long before we got here. This is yeah, nothing. I new. know it was the Crips and the Bloods. This, yeah, I know. well, and, and for that matter, the same is true of Africa. You go around the world anywhere, you're going to see that kind of. In uh, fact, kind of Native American to Native American tribes are very much like inner city gangs, but they perfected the art of torture to a, a level people don't believe. They would oh capture, they, yes. capture an enemy and they would literally take his skin off. And leave them alive and throw them out in the snow. Yeah, well, that was that was one of the quicker ways to die. They they could prolong death for a long, long time. Uh, I I, I commend you to see uh, uh, Ozana's raid, the Burt Lancaster movie from the early seventies, that uh, depicts some of what was done. First Geronimo, then Cochise, and now the bloodiest Apache of them all, Ozana. To stop Ozana, the army sent a patrol commanded by a fledgling lieutenant and his advisor. A battle-scarred scout. The scout, Bert Lancaster. The lieutenant, Bruce Davison. The sergeant, Richard Jacob. What, give uh, us a hint, since it's a podcast. Give us some tortures that were done by the sacred Native American, because the superior virtue of the oppressed by Bertrand Russell impressed me when I was young. And, oh, we, yeah. and we always assume that the oppressed people have superior virtue, but unfortunately, that isn't true. 
Well, the um, of course, the outstanding horror in that film was when they uh, they captured a homesteader, tied him to a log with his arms behind him, spread his legs and set a fire in his crotch and uh, roasted him slowly uh, with a small fire and then a much larger one, all the while feeding him pieces of his dog. Oh, so, my God. Yeah, I mean, it's was that a true? Was that something based on what yeah, the, actually the script, had been done? The script was based on actual uh, on actual events. Well, what and, about that movie from Africa where the white guy gets caught by? I never forget that. I wish I could remember the name of it. He's a whiter hunter. He gets caught by an African tribe. The Naked Prey. Yes. With Cornell Wilde. Yes. Africa. A hundred years ago, a trackless land. Majestic. Savage. Bloodstained. Life here was at its most primitive. Africa's wealth attracted the greedy. In such a land, in such a time, vengeful African warriors would attack a safari with unbelievable cruelty. Man became the naked prey. I saw a scene. I can't. It's one of those things I wish I had never seen. They oh, yeah. Cap, they capture a fat white hunter. They put mud around him. Yep. Roast them over the fire. They put mud around them and then they put two breathing tubes through the clay as it hardens. And then they put him in a fire like a clay pot and they slowly roast him alive. Is that reality? Yeah. Well, look, I I can't attest to the the, the truth of that one. You're a screenwriter Uh, who came up with that one. (laughs) Well, I would I would say to that point that every screenwriter uh, does research first. And I have to tell you, I studied with uh, with a martial artist named Shaka Zulu, who had been trained by the Zulu tribes. He incorporated Zulu fighting techniques. Shaka Zulu. Shaka Zulu. They gave him the name uh, of their their revered ruler because they were so impressed with his. He was the black. Uh, he was a, he was black American black. He was a black man. He he was a master of jujitsu. He was a bodyguard at the World's Fair in New York in '64, and they were so impressed with his skills that they invited him to come to Africa and study with them. So when he came back, he created a system called Zujitsu, which incorporated these Zulu fighting techniques. Is that Zulu. like Jujitsu? It's Jujitsu, but with a Zulu in front. No, Z-U. I don't mean J-U-Jitsu. I mean J-E-W-Jitsu. Oh, yeah, that's that's what we daven. It's, um, <laughs> uh, so so I, was, I was privileged to learn some of those fighting techniques. And I have to tell you, they were as brutal as any that I studied in any of the other Japanese or Chinese forms. Uh, when I, when I, you know, but having said all of that, when I was uh, with the Chumash uh, natives in uh, Santa Barbara, we went up into the mountains and did skinwalking. And as much what, as you find what is skinwalk, violence, what, I see skinwalking on social media lately. What is it? Yeah, well, it's when you let the animal spirit, whatever indigenous animal spirit is present, let them into your body and take over and become your companion uh, animal. Am I like, so I become Teddy since he passed away? It, it might be that if you're up in the mountains of Santa Barbara, it's more likely to be a wolf or, or well, I'm not peeing on the rug lately, but OK, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad for that, at least not because you think you're <laughs> not soft. yet. Not yet. It's only been since November. May God rest his soul. But I, I, I do miss my I used to call Teddy my spirit guide. Many nights yeah. I would say, you know, he's in the bed with me and I know he's protecting me from these spirits that float around. I I have not had a dog, Jeff, since he died. I've had a dog since I was a little boy, one dog or another. Yeah. It's a horrible thing living without an animal in your house. 
Well, there's a there's an energy that comes with that, and you certainly w- when you study the Shaolin animal forms like uh, you know tiger and eagle and crane and that sort of thing, uh, you you realize what an affinity we have with all of nature. I did a book with William Shatner called The Spirit of the Horse because he's a great equestrian, and um, he talks all about how he bonds with all of the horses to the extent that one of his friends. Uh, had a blind horse who she would gallop toward a wall and he trusted her to stop him before he hit. He could, the horse could feel it. Well, the horse knew that there was an impediment up ahead. So, uh, but didn't stop until she told him. So uh, yeah, there's a, you know, if you go back and look at how uh, Alexander the Great or some of the others were so intimidating because they sat on top of these horses, they looked like centaurs coming out of the mist um, so Jeff, anyway, let's get, back, let's get back to movies. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to movies. Yeah. But be, be, there's so much you and I. This is the beauty of this I know, I know, I know. We we start here and we end up somewhere else, which is what we wanted to do. Yeah. Both of us, you know, you talk about uh, there's probably a free form martial art that incorporates everything, all forms. Yeah. yeah. You and I have conversation that's a free form conversation that very few people could engage in without thinking they're crazy. They, they, they like to think in, in linear terms, start with a, a subject and stick to it, or else they're afraid people will think they're nuts. Yeah, well, but um, we are nuts. That's why we well, can do this without fear. Yeah, the, the form you're talking about, the martial arts form is Bagua, which uses uh, aspects of different martial arts forms. But um, you know, look, this is um, don't the Israelis have this Krav Maga, which is everything. Krav Maga. Yeah, that's a that's a kind of a hard hitting, straightforward put them on the ground within five seconds, martial art. It's the, the, the problem with Krav Maga is if you don't knock them out right away, they'll kill you. Get tired. No, you'll get tired really fast. Oh, because you're using all your energy. You're using, yeah. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Oh, so let's jump to two movies now. So there's two. I, I wrote you about a movie I hated this week, the $200 million movie called The Gray Man. What do you know about the Sierra program? Reckless mystery man you guys send in when you can't officially send anyone else. The Gray Man. Lloyd. They got an urgent locate and destroy. That could be fun. The man's got some street cred. Right. It was just gratuitous murder where the guy would walk up and point a gun and just shoot everyone in the room. I said, that's where these idiots in the school shootings are getting this from. The video games are just like that. Then I watch a movie the next night called The Operator, which I thought was fabulous. And you commented that you liked it. Was it called? No, The Contractor. The Contractor with with Chris Pine. Who's a better soldier? You're my dad. (laughs) Careful. Come on. Let's go. Did you actually see my dad's wife? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We looked after each other. Kind brothers. Yeah, kind of like brothers. It was excellent. I actually, yeah. it was believable. It was not gratuitous. The killing was not gratuitous. It was not just kill everyone in sight. It was like measured in a certain way, but it was also more believable. Why is that, do you think? Well, first of all, I, I, we really have to discuss this question of whether screen violence or video game violence provokes real world violence you you have you have fired weapons and you know that it's a different experience pulling a hair trigger and seeing something disintegrate you know hundreds of yards away instantly there's a difference between that and watching something on the screen once, Wait, slow once down you, Look, i yeah. want to follow what you're saying 
if I fire at a 50 or 100 yard target, right, which I haven't done in a long while because I've only used handguns in the range to qualify for my permit. Sure, sure. I haven't picked up a, a, a Ruger Mini 14 in 10 years or more. I don't go to an outdoor range. But you're saying even shooting a target from a distance is not the same as as watching it on on tv or 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 in a video game when you feel look it's a process when you realize what a hair trigger really is which is you just tense your finger a little bit and that's going to something is going to fall apart far away from you um, that immediately creates a different perspective and reality than what you see when Ryan Gosling or some video game first first person shooter is engaged um, so I would also submit that the generation that was raised on the most violent Westerns in early TV history, and I'm talking about, you know, the rifleman, wanted dead or alive, have gun will travel, grew up to protest the war in Vietnam. So I don't know mm. the degree to which there's a cause and effect there. I'm not a psychiatrist. I well, can't. that's an interesting question. I grew up on violent TV movies, violent movies in the theater. Uh, cowboys and Indians, they just bang, bang, you're dead. Yeah. When yeah. I was five and six years old in the Bronx, you're making me remember now. I got, uh, They bought me a cowboy suit and I had yeah. two cap guns. I'm remembering now the little apartment on Longfellow Avenue. Anyone who came to the doorbell and rang it in the apartment. Yeah. If my mother or father would open it, I'd shoot them with the cap guns. Bang, bang, you're dead. And they'd laugh and the smoke would rise in the in the house. I felt great. I yeah. knew I was playing. Well, I think there's a natural progression between play. I mean, look, we we did it with swords and, and toy bows and arrows. <laughs> yeah, we and, did. Uh, hatchets <laughs> we had and arrows with rubber tips on them. With, Remember, with rubber tips, absolutely, and and rubber knives and whatever. <laughs> Remember uh, those things, God. You, you you outgrow a lot of that, and um, the people who don't, or the people who seek that out. Are, are sociopaths. So then you have to look at the other, the other issue, which is broken homes, no father figure. What's a sociopath, Every, Jeff? Define sociopath. Uh, somebody who just lashes out at society willy-nilly without any feeling and an intent to destroy. Um, no, no, no empathy for the victim. Whatsoever. And, and indeed, we don't know to what degree they take pleasure it varies uh, from person to person, I'm sure. Um, Could we jump to but, what the world stage is? Putin a sociopath in his rant, his in his mutilation of Ukraine. Um, again, I I'm not a psychiatrist, but I would say that if you look back at the history of Russian czars, you're not seeing behavior that is any different from what Ivan Groshny, even the Ivan the Terrible did, or Peter the Great, mm. or any of those. Or look at Tsar Nicholas, for God's sake, uh, the second. Uh, these these people were totalitarian conquerors. Point to any tyrant throughout history, from Attila to uh, uh, to Caesar. Uh, you're going to find the same kind of behavior, and. We could argue that there were better ways of resolving this, but that's usually the case, and the fault is usually on both sides for not seeking it. Yeah, well, we could talk about Ukraine for a minute or two here. Since we talked last, only one world statesman came forward and called for a settlement who was Kissinger, and he was roundly attacked 
by the left for calling for a, a peace settlement that they should give up, you know, the, the eastern regions. He was called every name under the sun from senile to a warmonger to a Russian propagandist. He's the only one who said we've got to stop this before it gets out of hand. Yeah, well, you look in the 19th century, the British were over there fighting. I mean, it's it's, um, you know, the Crimea, the charge of the light brigade. Uh, these 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 pieces of land change hands over time. That's a reality. Hmm. Uh, you know, we didn't we didn't see a lot of coverage of the the Russian citizens and or sympathizers in Ukraine who were being brutalized. And by the way, my ancestry is Ukrainian and, and Russian. So. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a house where um, where these matters were discussed frequently and openly oh. uh, and with great prejudice. So against the Russians. Well, I, I, well, except for the family members who were Russian. Um, what they like Tsar Nikolai? No, 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 no. But, um, you know, they they were always sympathetic towards the people towards the, the oppressed population. Well, I used to hear little songs sung by some men that I didn't even understand as a little boy. And they were vulgar songs. Tsar Nikolai, you know, and I could say the rest of it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were cursing him. Yeah. And they would curse him and they would dance. These men, these are the tough guys in the in the in the circle of men. These were the warrior men. Well, they, I, they hated we, him. When we were kids, we heard the same songs about Hitler, Goebbels, and uh, uh, the rest of the Nazis. Well, who do we hear them about now? Well, um, I'm not really sure. Uh, who are the villains in America today? Well, white apparently men? we all are. <laughs> Anyone who's straight, white, and heterosexual is, is public enemy number one? Uh, well, again... It depends on who is yelling the loudest. I think if you polled most people in the country, you'd find we are all still basically centrists and sane. But, Jeff, you work in the publishing industry. You work in Hollywood. You know the horror stories better than I do. And without getting personal, I know that my great editor, uh, Kate Hartson, who created a great division, Center Street for Hachette, and had one bestseller after another was thrown out of the company. They eliminated the whole company that she ran and they will not publish any basic. You call it conservative. That's not the right word. Any book that's pro-American is not being published by Hachette anymore, so far as I can tell. And, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely not, right. And all of New York publishing has been taken over by the I don't even use the word woke because I hate the word. It's yeah. like the old word. They used to say PC. I never would use it or the word woke. It doesn't mean anything. These are absolute fascists. Yeah, but that leaves, you know, it's sort of like the extinction of the dinosaurs, which left room for the mammals. You have publishers like Bombardier and Newsmax, which has a book division, which are starting to fill that that void. Uh, these books are still being published. The Newsmax is going to publish my book. It was supposed to, I, and I wrote it already. I have to rewrite it by the time they publish it. Yeah, I wrote a book for them. It was supposed to come out in October just before the midterms. It's been pushed into 2023 of March. How is it going to be relevant then? I'll have to rewrite the book by then. Yeah, I would say so. You know, but, but they uh, are a great publisher. They're doing very important books. Newsman. Right. So I'm not I'm not fearful that the voices will be silenced. They're, they're no longer a mass medium. It's true. Uh, but look, you know what? Comic books went through this in the 1950s. We wrote about that in uh, Stop Mass Hysteria when Congress threatened to shut down the industry 
because the horror comics were too horrifying and the, the crime comics were causing juvenile delinquency, they said. Um, but, you know, they, they caused a little uh, a blip in the history of comic books. Yeah, yeah, stop mass hysteria. They caused a blip in the history of comic books. But they, they got back on their feet. Stan Lee came along. Marvel Comics grew. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Tom, your background with comics. I know you, you, you have a thing with comics, correct? Yeah, I um, uh, started out at uh, DC Comics as an assistant editor <laughs> and uh, met some of the giants who had, who had invented the, um, the genre, I mean the medium. And uh, then I, I knocked around several other um, other companies until um, I started uh, a company called Atlas Comics with Martin Goodman, who had founded Marvel Comics. So uh, yeah, I've been I've been doing that. Are for you while. working with my friend and your friend Stephen Paul on some comic projects, movie? Yeah, yeah. I can't really talk about that, but the okay. answer is yes. The answer is absolutely yes. And uh, we're having. I spoke a with time. him this morning, and I said I'm speaking with. Jeff Roven today was a great guy. So he said he and I had the same martial. I said, he's a great martial artist. So Stephen said, well, we had the same teacher in New York. I said, you, Stephen, yeah. you, you practiced. <laughs> I didn't. I only know him from from, uh, you know, the occasional times we met together and, and had uh, actually he ate bagels and locks. I mean, I. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, Steve, Stephen, Paul and I get along. And we yes, the the martial artist in question. So I'll, I'll give you just a short anecdote. His name was Johnny Cool, K-U-H-L. That's what he mentioned. And- he was um, he was sometimes uh, let, let's just say he was the muscle for a certain group. And uh, oh, uh, that's what he right. He was the, the OK, got it. Yeah. And what happened was when New York went broke in the uh, in the 70s, um, anybody who had a gun permit was permitted to become an auxiliary cop. So Johnny Cool and my uncle would go around in their patrol car and they would let me come along with them. I was a young teenager. Your uncle was a cop? My uncle, no, my uncle had a costume store off Times Square, but he had a gun permit. He had a gun permit, so he became an auxiliary cop. So wait, this guy, the enforcer, and your uncle would do what? They would drive around in the patrol car as auxiliary cops looking for lawbreakers. What patrol car? They had a patrol car out of out of uh, Midtown South. So wait, if they would wait, see, wait, I'm, I'm losing you. They had a, an official NYPD patrol car. Yeah. Yeah. It said auxiliary on it, but they had this car. OK, so they permitted people with permits to be auxiliary cops. Correct. Okay. You had limited you had limited authority, but that didn't stop Johnny Cool or my uncle from grabbing pimps off the street, throwing them in the car, having them fall down the concrete stairs of Midtown South Precinct. Okay. And the girls, all of the, the streetwalkers loved, loved them. Uh, they also worked as bag men for that, uh, that organization, but we won't get into that. Uh, but yeah, so, so Stephen Paul and I will be, will be doing some stuff together. So he was, a, this enforcer was a part-time martial arts instructor. He was he he became a full time martial arts instructor after. And this was wild. I didn't know until about five years ago that he also had a sideline as a porn star. Oh, and uh, I I found he didn't wear tight costumes during the training. (laughs) No, but they were open chested. The gi is open chested. And I'm I'm watching this movie and I said, I know that chest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was in fact Johnny Cool, 
and the 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 martial arts community knew nothing about his. And I look him up on YouTube. Are are there any K U H L Johnny Cool videos? K U H L. You will find pictures of him as a martial artist, uh, but you'd have to look up individual movies. And seriously, I don't. Nothing from the waist down. Yeah, for well, no, all of him. But uh, look, the thing, and you'll appreciate this. The thing about those porn movies, they are the best record of Times Square and Manhattan in the early 1960s because everything was shot in the streets. So you, wait, wait, you'll stop. see. Okay, now you triggered something else in me. Yeah. Times Square, that great series that was on television two years ago called The Deuce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, from the 70s. Yeah. That was one, showing the whole evolution of the porn industry. And then there was another couple of flashbacks to that early day of the porn industry that I saw recently. Uh, I can't even remember it. Was it in um, The Many Saints of Newark? Maybe. Maybe. I, don't, they, they, I, I saw that, but I don't remember it. Antonio Soprano. I wonder if I can talk to you alone for a moment, Mrs. Soprano. On the basis of the Sanford Binet, he's high IQ. You can't prove it by me. He's got a D-plus average. Well, he doesn't apply himself, but he is smart. The results tell us. He's a leader. By the way, speaking of that for one minute, I didn't like it when I first watched it. I thought it was vacuous. Then I watched it a second time, and it got better. Then I watched pieces of it a third time. It got even better. Yeah, that often happens. And, and Scorsese was the director, but the acting in it, some of the women actors in particular were off the charts. Great. Wait, Scorsese didn't direct uh, the Sopranos movie. What? The Many Saints of Newark? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, somebody else. But anyway, the point is, is I love the women actresses. One of them played uh, yeah. Tony's mother as a young woman when she gets shot right, the, right, right. Shot yeah. in the wig by the, yep. by the they yeah. actually enacted that scene. They're driving in the Cadillac convertible with the top down and she's going on and on and on. And the father is seen as eating his heart out like why doesn't you shut the hell up and he pulls out his, his 32 snub nose and bang he shoots her in the in the, in the big hairdo and it right. shows it's smoking <laughs> as had been described in one of the soprano series they actually reenacted it i yeah. mean who the hell would do a thing like that even it was frightening okay since you brought it up we're gonna go there we're gonna go to gun violence in the movies and i want to i want to make this Good. point very oh. strongly and i know neither you or i saw this in its first run but in 1903, one of the first narrative movies was The Great Train Robbery. Now, mind you, movies were just a couple of years old at that time. The end of that movie, full face, upper body of one of the main characters, points a gun at the audience, pulls the trigger and fires. Now, we're talking about an audience that did not yet understand how movies worked and what they were depicting. They went screaming out of the theater when he fired the gun at them. Wow. That lesson has never been lost on Hollywood. And, and um, the, the idea that you can be in kind of safe jeopardy, like on a roller coaster, uh, is a significant part of many of these movies. Safe jeopardy. That's a great phrase. Did yeah. You make it up. Yeah, I just, I just thought of it right now. There's a title for a book for you. Safe Jeopardy. Ro- yeah. Safe Jeopardy by Jeff Rovin. Yeah. A history of violence in the movies. Yeah. Well, but it's it's and again, think about think about all of the, the biblical movies in the 50s. You know, what, what was more violent than the end of the chariot race in Ben-Hur? You know, <laughs> as uh, spoiler alert, you know, Stephen Boyd gets run over with a, with a chariot. 
Um, so these are these are not new. God, I remember in that movie, uh, Charlton Heston as a, as a galley slave, he escapes and takes a torch and shoves it in somebody's face. This is a movie that families went to see. Right. But he was the good guy because he was the slave. Well, yeah, well, he, he was the oppressed Jew. And I also want to point out, of course, you couldn't have an actor like Charlton Heston anymore, not not because of his his uh, conservative views, but because of what they're calling toxic masculinity. Uh. It's bad. It's bad to be straight and virile. Look at Burt Lancaster, Kirk Douglas, John Wayne, all of these guys. They have no counterpart. Sterling Hayden, my hero. Sterling Hayden. I once ran into him in the street and boy, did he have presence and gravitas and and I love his movie. I'm reading his biography, Wanderer. People may not know who he is. He played the corrupt captain in The Godfather with that great voice when he punches punches the Michael Corleone character in the face, breaks his nose. And then they go to that dinner with the Turk, Salazzo, and they're sitting there and he says, I'm sorry, Mike, you know, I had to do it. How's the veal in this place? The other one says the best veal in the city, blah, blah, blah. But he's the big Irishman with the white hair, with the great voice. He yep. was six foot six, wasn't he? Something like he was that. A little shorter, but yeah, he was up there. He was up there. Well, he was an actual hero. He was a quote, real man's man in the true sense of the word, not a fake Tom Cruise type who plays the same part for 45 years. He was a real hero. I understand that he worked for the early days in the OSS, bringing supplies, I believe, into Yugoslavia as a ship captain. Wouldn't surprise me. That, that, and and surprise so he, he was the real McCoy. He was like the real, uh, you know, character that they've written about. And well, he hated Hollywood. Hollywood. Hey, you should read what he writes about Hollywood and Wanda. Oh, I know. Hated I know. the movies he made, despised the people who produced them. Except, the mo- except for Dr. Strangelove. He loved playing uh, General Jack D. Ripper, the crazy uh, oh, general. Did. I didn't Dr. know he was Strange in that one. Oh, my God. You've got to see that. He is he is simply incredible. He lived um, in Sausalito, not too far from where I live. And there's a barbershop that still has his picture on the wall. Yeah. I went in there about two months ago for the I've walked by many times and I hadn't had my haircut since COVID came. I went in for my first haircut. I went into the barber, an old Italian. He was in his 80s. And I said, is this where Sterling Hayden had his haircut? And he said, yeah. I said, uh, well, if it's good enough to cut his hair, I'll sit down in the chairs. Well, I didn't actually cut his hair, but he did come here. So, yeah. And, a, and his presence is still felt around the seat, the, the, the yacht harbor. Some people still remember the guy. Wow. It was a bad haircut, by the way. It wasn't that good. It took me a month to let my hair grow in from when the old guy cut it. I was afraid he was going to cut my ear off. But you're always wearing hats, so who cares? Well, but look what he did to me. Look what he did to me, Michael. Look. Oh, my God. That's what he did that's, to me. Uh, anyway, but the point is, is I, I his, his, Jeff, I highly recommend his biography, autobiography, Wanderer. It's when he took a 94-foot schooner out of Sausalito with his children and kidnapped them to take them to, I believe, Tahiti to escape a, 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 a bad divorce. It's an amazing book. Well, and then, you know, he did that. He did that movie Terror in a Texas Town, where unlike every other gunslinger, Sterling Hayden carried a harpoon. (laughs) Home of borders, language, culture, the savage nation. Oh, okay. So these were the great men of the toxic masculine men that we were talking about. Yeah, but don't forget, like Sterling Hayden, Heston served in um, in the military. Burt Lancaster served in the military. 
Clark Gable, Gene Kelly, all of the, uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart, all of these guys served. And so they, they brought, oh God, uh, such, such weight to everything they did subsequent to that. Uh, you, you, you knew that they had seen some life. And, uh, and the great directors, too, like William Wyler. He made that incredible movie, The Best Years of Our Lives, about the, the veterans uh, after World War II. But he had been over there. He saw it. That's why it's so real. That's why it endures. Yeah, but many of our great politicians were, were men who served in the military. From right. Yeah. Right. The eyes in there. I thought JFK was a great president. Uh, he'd be a right wing, you know, supr- white supremacist today. Sure. Democrat, Democrats wouldn't touch him. Right. That's OK. I, I, I don't think JFK would be a never Trumper. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Not so at we all. come but, back to toxic masculinity. What does that yeah. mean? Well, you know, it's it's this idea that a man is somehow a dominant figure um, by by default, by birthright, however you want to describe it, and swaggers through life. Um, expecting a certain uh, a certain kind of reaction, if you will, to to him just showing up, um, and you know th- that may be true to some. Is, uh, is this driven by the lesbians who hate men? I wouldn't I wouldn't say that any particular group drives that so much as this kind of um, oh god. Uh, Newspeak. It's just a convenient way of further diminishing so-called white supremacy. But they never talk about toxic masculinity in African Americans. No, and and by the way, or about more, or amongst Hispanic drug dealers. Who was more virile and still is probably, but then then Richard Roundtree is Shaft. You know th- this this guy. No, but you never hear about toxic masculinity d- uh, applied to a African American and uh, uh, gangsters or boxers right well that's why i said it's it's used to further diminish this uh, this uh, insane notion of white supremacy okay so there 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 it is we're talking about absolute overt racism towards white males in particular or white cis males yeah yeah <laughs> not not white sissy males as no 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 not that not that uh, luckily i had training in chemistry so when that came along i knew the difference between cis and sis <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you see, you're well, a novelist. You're a novelist. It's a funny way of saying it. But I'm, I'm uh, sorry, Michael. But anyone with an elementary school education should know that SIS and CIS are different, even if you don't know what they mean. I doubt that they know what cis and cis and you know. Yeah, no. I'm I, holding Stop Mass Hysteria, which you co-wrote with me, America's Insanity from the Salem Witch Trials to the Trump Witch Hunt, which you just referenced a few minutes ago. And there's a chapter here called. Um, Crowd psychology, mass hysteria. And I believe you wrote this. You wrote mass hysteria or mass hypnosis is insidious and uh, and stealthy. It falls into two categories. The first is positive hallucinations or hysteria. When you believe something is real, absent evidence, just because someone says so or it fits your preconceived notions. I would say this concept of white supremacy uh, or toxic masculinity falls into that category, Jeff. Would that be correct? Yeah, and I think you have to you have to make a distinction between that and say belief in God, um, because they're they're clearly not the same thing. But people are going to try to uh, to analogize. Well, you them. raise a good point. Okay, uh, when I did a YouTube three weeks ago, showing myself putting on to fill in, which I had not really done 
maybe mm-hmm. once or twice in my whole life. But I've gotten to age that I'm at and I'm more fearful of the future and of eternity. And I get frightened sometimes. I find that this, quote, ritual of wrapping to fill in, wrapping a leather thong, putting a black box on my head, which has biblical inscriptions in it and tuning it in. You actually have to put it on your head, hairline, straight up. I actually do feel some connectivity. Well, you would. You would. And there's two reasons for that. First of all, you're putting it on what the, uh, the yoga tradition would say is the third eye. Where where the seat of wisdom the seat of wisdom is located right here. right exactly. exactly is that where it is yeah yeah no wonder I've been thinking clearly it's these hats hey, well you cover it up you're you're, you're keeping uh, keeping a blinder on your third eye the other thing I'm is, not letting stuff into my third eye well that's a problem yeah that's a problem too the 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 more important thing is that when you put on tefillin or 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 a crucifix or or any other religious object mm, mm. you are submitting to the superiority of the universe. Most people, Amen. I shouldn't say that, many people find it difficult to put their ego aside, yes. to stop trying to assert their will on the universe, which is a fool's errand, and to let the universe assert its will on you. The universe doesn't lie. It won't lead you astray. Hmm. We, on the other hand, screw up when we try to second guess what the universe wants us to do. Well, so in, this- in the tefillin, Jeff, you're 100% right. One of the leather thongs goes on your weak arm, in my case, my left arm, and yet the little black box with biblical phrases is supposed to be to your heart. Then you tie your hand up with it, then around your finger. And that means you're submitting your animal force to God. And then you put the other one on the head to tune in from your head and your heart. And you're supposed to, at the end of this ritual, unify your head and your heart for that day in all actions towards God. Right. But if we have destroyed God in America, first by taking out the Ten Commandments from our schools, which began with, I am your only God, you shall worship no other gods. There shall be no other gods before thee. I remember as a kid in elementary school, there were the Ten Commandments. They never offended me. I wasn't a religious kid, but every school had the Ten Commandments on the wall. So kids are bored in school. I was. My mind would drift everywhere. But where would you drift? The pictures of the United States, George Washington, and then the Ten Commandments. And you were subliminally reading them and taking them in. Flash forward to today. I don't know what's on the walls of a schoolroom, but there certainly aren't the Ten Commandments and George Washington. No, it's it's diversity and inclusion. And again, it's not it's not that that's a bad thing. It's just that when it becomes the only thing um, that that's that's dangerous. Um, I want to point out, by the way, that in the Taoist tradition and the Tai Chi tradition, uh, your your left arm, your heart arm is the intake of energy. So for you to put the fillin on that arm to plug into your heart makes complete sense. You know, you often see the uh, the Shaolin monks will, will put Buddha in their heart by by bringing their hand down their chest. It's always a reminder. Is that what that they do you, with that? Yes, that you are not first. You you Is are that not. What that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, don't you're, martial you're, artists begin their their mo- movements with that? It's motion? it's a it's a uh, a gesture of humility. But I've seen martial artists do that before 
their moves. Well, there's a that that's different. We can, we don't have visual aids for the, for the audience, but that's different from what I just am demonstrating oh. to you now, where you're aligning with your core, ready to to huh. break someone's uh, voice box. Uh, <laughs> now, um, but the thing is, is all of these great religions uh, have the same kinds of ideas, and by also. Society may try to destroy God, but God is not a competitive part of the universe. It's not feasible. God is outside of the universe. And so, so, we wait, can, we why, can, so why does God let this stuff go on in the world right now? Why is he letting America fall apart? You know, I, I remember the old the great phrase I quoted a million times on the radio from uh, <clears throat> Thomas Mann. God sees the truth, but waits. Yeah. That's that's partly that's partly the answer. Just because we, like I said before, when you try, anybody tries to assert their will on the universe, it's bound to fail, and that's what's happening now. God's not going to come down, enter our universe, create you know a, a, a new emissary, and say, "Hey, knock that off." No, we have the laws, we have the Bible. If we choose not to follow the teachings then we do so at our peril. So we get expelled from Eden. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free... Sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.